Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Story Blender. I'm Stephen James, and this is where great storytellers share the secrets to great storytelling. Now, in my work over the last few years, I've found that it's relatively rare to find someone who's both experienced as a performer and storyteller and also experienced as a storytelling coach working with businesses and, and so on as a consultant. Well, today's guest is one of those rare exceptions. Kim Whitecamp grew up in Amish country as a middle child of exhausted parents, as she likes to say, labeled by teachers as high-spirited, uncooperative, and too talkative, Kim took those comments and channeled them into a lifetime of high-energy, heartfelt, and hilarious artistry, and we are the better off for it. She's an award-winning storyteller, author, singer, songwriter, and humorist. After using applied storytelling in her work with at-risk youth for 12 years, Kim took a turn onto a different avenue of story and song, which led her down the path of full-time touring for the last 15 years, where she has gathered an armload of awards and an armload of new stories. She performs regularly at festivals and theaters around the country and has been a guest editor and contributor for various publications. Her material gets regular airplay on Sirius XM and NPR affiliate stations. In addition, she has recorded eight award-winning albums and hosted a morning show for a Dove award-winning radio network. She has been honored with leadership awards for her coaching and speaking with internationally known companies like Purina and Edward Jones, as well as nationally recognized nonprofits like Feeding America and Habitat for Humanity, teaching the power of story to help grow organizations and build teams. And somehow, in addition to all of that, she found time to read my forthcoming book, The Art of the Tale, and write a very kind endorsement. So, Kim, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but I used to work with um, at-risk youth as well back in the day. It's been quite a number of years, but, um, but I know that I have some very interesting uh, stories that came out of those that time while I did that. Um, and thanks for your work in that area, by the way. Um, Thank you. I love yeah, it. Do you, do you have any stories or experiences from that time that come to mind as especially memorable? Oh, my goodness. I have so many. But as you were saying that, because I didn't know you did that. I love that, that we have that in common. Um, instantly, this one story popped up. So I had a U-turn youth uh, organization uh, located in Virginia. And then I was also the regional director for several of actually like 32 of those. And I would take the kids who needed to do community service that either couldn't find a place to do it or nobody wanted them at their businesses because maybe it was a violent or sexual offense. Wow. And we had this one kid named Lucas come to us and he had stolen a truck drunk 
and just wrecked it and destroyed it. So not anything too horrible. I know you may think, oh my gosh, that's horrible. No, he was one of the minor offenses that came through our doors, trust me. But I just love this kid. So I signed him to this guy named Jim, who was kind of his mentor and looked over him when he was at the youth house doing his work. And his job, we had a huge skate park. His job was to clean out the big the old oil barrels that were used for trash. I mean, a nasty job. It would rain or kids would throw their cups of soda in there. And so we used storytelling in those situations. And he would meet with me and the therapist and we would talk and I would listen and kind of interject some stories that would teach things or have uh, pull out of him his story. And I had told Jim this one particular day, I said, I'm going to work with Lucas today. And he said, okay. So I got in there with him, cleaning up the skate park, digging out trash. And I told him this story about a man who was ripping people off. It's kind of like a folktale that I made mm. up. <laughs> and and with every time he ripped somebody off, a grain of sand would appear in his shoe. Mm. And slowly he began to have a little bit of pain. And then slowly it began to make him walk a little bent. And then his back hurt, then his legs hurt. And soon he couldn't even work because the grains of sand piled up. And I said, do you, you know, what do you think about that story? I mean, it, obviously it was more conversational than this. And he said, I think I get it. And I'm like, okay. Well, then in the next therapy sessions, after he had time to let it just sit inside of him, we talked about the fact that it doesn't matter how little the thing seems mm. or no matter how many people you hurt in many different ways, some larger, some smaller, it builds up. And even if you do not clean out and make a decision to not add those things into your behavior, you can end up with a lot of internal issues, uh, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and sometimes even physically it manifests itself. So over a period of two months, right, we that was kind of a basis for what we built everything on in his therapy and stuff, his counseling rather. So when it's time for Lucas to go, I had fallen in love with this kid. And I was like all excited. It was kind of the exit outtake time. His parents had come in and then I got some time alone with him with his with his uh, mentor. And I said, well, Lucas, I said, it's been so much fun. I said, I just adore you. You know, can you tell us anything that you learned while you were here? And he said, yes. Next time I steal a truck, I won't drink. <laughs> there you go. So. And yeah. he was being tongue in cheek, but okay, just yeah. the relationship that was built was so beautiful. And he came back to me almost a year later and we talked about that story. He's like, I know what you were doing with that story. <laughs> and so. And, and I actually stayed in touch with him for a couple of years and then I've lost track of him because obviously that was a long time ago. But. I had a lot of kids come back, you know, sometimes I'd just be like, you know, when I was a kid or, you know, what happened one time mm -hmm. and, and they'd come back a few weeks later and say, Hey, you know, that, that story you told me, that's about me, isn't it? And I'd be like, Oh, <laughs> I mean, it's up to you how you apply it, you know, but when you tell a story, there's no defense mm. that the defenses go down. Yeah, when you tell that uh, about defenses and so on, I remember the first night of my first, so I did wilderness courses. So oh. we would go on 28 day long wilderness trips with about 12 students or so. 
in the in the state of Illinois who'd been in trouble with the law for a variety of reasons. And either instead of going to juvenile prison, they came to our wilderness course. And so it was the first one in uh, Southern Illinois um, kind of uh, camping and so on. And I didn't know how to relate to these kids. I wasn't that much older than, than they were. Um, and so I was like, how do I connect with, we had quite different upbringings and backgrounds, demographics and everything. And so we're sitting around the campfire and I was finally, I was like, Hey, do any of you guys know the story about the guy with the hook for the hand and the, the couple up on lover's lane? That is such an oldie and goodie. I know. And um, they're like, no. And I'm like, it's really old. It's back from the 1970s. And they're like, yeah, that is old, you know. And and so uh, some of them had maybe heard it, but I was I was like, I'll tell you that story. So I told them that that old story and the old urban legend, you know, and then I was like, you ever heard of the one about and then I told another one and then suddenly i used up all the urban legends i knew but then these students start saying well you want you know the one about the and they would start telling me and so it, what happened in like for two hours we just sat around telling urban legends to each other and the bridges all came down between us um and uh so you know what you said as far as the power of, of story i saw that firsthand for myself when i was working with these students so many years ago it's it's incredibly powerful. Yeah. As a matter of fact, throughout our whole life, we're fed stories, whether it's about ourselves, our family, or even stories through the actions of others. And what that does, it gives us preconceived notions about who we are, mm. and it can change our whole worldview, which then completely twists our axis of attitude in different directions. And there's, I actually think... You've heard this before, but I teach a whole thing on this yeah. because what our job was, was to come in and start feeding different stories, mm -hmm. showing them they were capable of different actions, showing them our stories, sharing stories that were folk tales, sharing stories of other people and feeding things into them that could change their concept and worldview and thus their attitude, which then results in better behaviors, hopefully, knock on wood. So, <laughs> And that's what I do on stage. Yeah. I, I would be foolish to think that when I tell a story, I'm going to radically change the whole world or think that I have some greater wisdom that I can heal the people in the audience. But I would also be absolutely ridiculously naive to not understand that my story hmm. that I've lived can help because it lets people know they're not alone. It lets people know, oh, well, you know. She's a non-criminal member of society with issues, so maybe I'm <laughs> going to be okay. Whatever, you know, yeah. maybe I too can leave a, a, an abusive relationship. Whatever it is, I know that the story has power. It's not because I have some great wisdom that's so narcissistic. When you're talking about the power of story, I remember I heard this short little, um, I guess it's a folktale. It's an old teaching story from... Uh, the Middle East from many, many years ago. Um, and I heard it recently and I've told it to a couple of people and they're like, that is a powerful story. So I'll tell it to you right now. Maybe you can use this sometime. But um, there was a guy who was basically feeling kind of like uh, other people should pay more attention to him and so on. Uh, and so he was in the forest one day and he saw this fox with no legs and a tiger came up and had finished eating and left some food for the fox. 
And so uh, the fox ate it and this guy was like, that's really strange. Like, that's odd. I wonder what that's about. So he went to the forest the next day and sure enough, there's the fox. And here comes this tiger and feeds the fox. And so he's like, I think I'm, I think I can learn something from this. So he's like, I'll wait and have people come and, you know, bring me some food and pay me some attention and so on. And so he waited and waited and no food came. No one came and, and did anything for him. And so finally he's on death's door and he's starving and he's feeling sorry for himself. And he hears this voice, the voice of God that says, don't you even understand? You were supposed to be the tiger. Oh, isn't that a nice little story? Yeah, I love them when they're wrapped up tight like that. Yeah. And like, you know, it's like we think about ourselves so much. And that's a story that you could tell the people and basically say, you know, it's not just about having other people serve us, but very often, you know, the what what we do can impact and, you know, in positive ways, impact other people. And you know what? When I worked with youth, some of the, I, oh man, some of the first things I did when I'd land in a new area to, to build up a new, a new youth center would be, and a lot of times they were in really underserved areas, is I would take those kids into servant situations mm. and servant in a po- very positive way where like a soup kitchen or mm. we're going to go out and we're going to do this because they, a lot of them came from homes where they received mm. and and listen, uh, there's no judgment because yeah. it is when you get into a mentality of survival. Yeah. You 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 take what you can get any way you can get it. You're not thinking about giving because you're just trying to feed your kids, right? Yeah. Sure. But I would take these youth into service type situations uh, because they would recognize that even with little or even with maybe a, a family history of. Uh, repetition of certain behaviors. Mm. Wow. Even though I can't even afford a pair of shoes and my dad is dying on a mattress on the Mm. floor from poisoning in his blood and he's still smoking with an oxygen tank on. Mm. (laughs) I didn't pull that out of nowhere. I mean, I'm thinking of one of my kids. I still have something to give. And it's incredible to see what that can do when they realize there are people with stories worse or even Mm. similar yeah. And they can still serve that. And it, it empowers them. It brings an empowerment to them uh, rather than maybe a victim mentality or a, I don't have anything to give mm-hmm. or I'm stuck. Another thing I would do would be to get them out of their community. I would take them mm-hmm. on trips yeah. and let them, you know, cause that's all they really knew. And I remember one young lady telling me that it was the most green she'd ever seen mm-hmm. in her life. She's like, I've never seen this much green. And we take so much of that for granted, just letting them see there's a bigger world out there that they can have access to. So, yeah, that's fantastic. It makes an impact. And, and I'm sure that, you know, um, now I'm, you know, I'm sure that there were some kids that maybe, you know, went off their own way, but I know that, um, that, that your work had positive impact. So that's, Oh, I know it. I know it has yeah. because they call me. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> I, one kid, I, I know this might not be where we're supposed to go, but this one kid, boy, what a mess. Oh, my goodness gracious. So, so much. I can't even go into it. And he just finished a book. He's married with three kids, wow. beautiful family, and he stays in touch. And not long, I'd say about it, it was about a year ago, I got a 
Facebook message from this kid, Tommy, who I adored and talk about a really rough situation at home. And he said, hey, hey, Kim, I found you on Facebook. I want you to know I have my own car. I've got a baby and I'm with the mom and we're doing really well. And if you need anything, you let me know. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so I'm like, when people ask, I'm like, I got a guy. I got a guy. <laughs> you know, hook me up, whatever. He'll, but he'll take it was care just, of it. It was so cute, right? You know, that he reached out to just say, look, I got a little family and I got my own car, which if you understood his background, that was not going to be possible because of things that his parents did with his social security number. And he's just come a long way. In some people's eyes, if you go and look, because I went and looked at his Facebook, a lot of people would look at where he's at and say he's not. Mm. But they don't know the backstory that this this is huge, huge for him. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. And, you know, one of the things I was thinking of, you've worked with so many different groups, you know, over the years, business leaders, also some of these uh, students that we were just talking about. Have have you found anything um, as far as like stories that work with a broad range of audiences, like a universal appeal of certain stories? And I was just curious if you had any that popped to mind or, or what it is that you think some stories maybe if they do have that universal appeal, what it is or why that impacts people from a wide variety of backgrounds? Well, two come to mind and they're both personal stories that I share. And it's interesting because I will be working with marketing teams from international companies or nationally known nonprofits, whatever, right? And I share a story to explain my science of story. I have, a, I have a Newton's cradle thing that I teach. And it's a story about my father. Mm. And I specifically picked that story for two reasons. One, it was a profound moment for me that gave me complete clarity of how story works, right? So it just works. But also, everybody in that room has a father. Mm. Either they never met them, but they have them, but they've never met them. So there's issues there, or they didn't have a good relationship, or they had a great relationship, or their father's dead, or he's living, or they don't go see whatever their issue is. Yeah. And so that story about my father, I kid you not, it's kind of funny because it's a business training. But I always break after that session because two thirds easily of the room is crying. Wow. But what I've done in that, and I'm not, well, I was going to say I'm not manipulating, and yet all story is manipulation. <laughs> so we won't, if you want to get into that, we can. As long, I think as long as your purpose is pure, yeah. I have no problem knowing that my story will manipulate emotion. If it helps that person get to something wherever they're at, fine, but we're not going to get into that. So um, because exactly what I'm teaching them story and marketing or knowing your story as a nonprofit or whatever, I actually in that session have done it to them. Hmm. So when they come back and they've pulled their self together, I point out that everything I just taught you, if you look, I just did that to you. Yeah. And I did it very purposefully because that is the story that released a lot in me to teach these things, Hmm. but also there's a universal ground of we all had or have a father, whether good or bad. 
And it's amazing to see their minds open and the emails I get afterwards. And then we get into the nitty gritty of applying that either to their new marketing or their new product or their new campaign or whatever it is they're doing, even if they're just trying to figure out their story as a nonprofit. But it's extremely powerful, so powerful that I I, I give them a, a good half hour break after that session. I mean, that's, that's really interesting to hear and... Um, you know, when I teach writing, sometimes I talk about these universal desires that uh, all of us have. And a lot of times when you're saying and reading a novel, one of the things that connects us to the main character's journey is this kind of underlying desire that we have. It's whatever it is to love and be loved, to experience adventure, freedom or security, or to find happiness or peace or forgiveness or all of these things. So if you find those, you know, people who are listening or reading in the case of a novel can identify and say, I know what that's like. I identify with that. And I think that draws people into the stories that we tell. I, I love that. And I, I'll tell you something else I love. I love writing stories because even though I perform on stage, you know, I was just in at the Majestic Theater in Gettysburg and was just in Paris, Kentucky, and I was performing. I, I live a really lovely life that I can be in a boardroom working with CEOs and CFOs or whoever's there. And then the next weekend I'm on a stage performing. It's so freaking awesome, Stephen. <laughs> but uh, because both of those feed each other, actually, and I think make me mm. better at what I do. I don't mean better than others. I mean, I'm constantly growing and evolving and getting better because of that. But um, I forget what I was going to say. <laughs> That's, <laughs> what what no, did you say? Oh, um, about, um, oh, one of the things I love yeah. when I write a story is to come in where everybody is kind of pinging with some way that they're relating to the characters mm -hmm. and they identify so much that it's almost like a piece of them and then take a hard turn and freak them out with a change in that character where they're like, whoa, because they've gotten so... Uh, kind of on the same ground as that person, and then you throw a curveball. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's what I like to call the pivot. Like great stories have a pivot, and sometimes that pivot pulls the rug out. Sometimes it illuminates things, you know, in a new way. Uh, very often, when if everything in a story is as it appears to be, then you don't really leave yourself much room for that that moment that you just talked about. So I think in a lot of stories, when we listen to them or when we read them, we kind of, we want things to be predictable, but we don't want them to go exactly where we predict. Like it's almost this game that we're playing, but people want to guess how a story will go, but they don't want to be right. They, they, yes. You know, it's like, they want to guess like, okay, based on everything I know, but that they want that moment where they're like, what? I didn't see that coming. And then they think back through and they're like, Oh, well, that totally logically makes sense from everything, you know, that that preceded it. So, yeah, it's a it's it's fun and it's a game that, you know, we play and that they want us to win. I go through so many audible books a month because I drive a lot. Oh, yeah. And I either drive in silence, which is a lot of my kind of creating time and making notes in my phone or I listen to audible books. I'm always running ahead going, I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. And man, do I love it when that author makes me pause it and go, what? I, I love know, that right? moment yeah. so much. 
But, you know, I think that can translate to life too, Stephen, something that you just said. You said that nobody really wants things to be what they appear. They want there to be more. They want there to be a, a pivot. Yeah. And that that is not just applicable in writing, but it's in life because mm. the album I have coming out is about the people I have met. Because what I do is I sit with people. When I travel, I look for someone eating alone and I ask if I can sit with them. Oh, that's and cool. Eat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I get a, even though I'm not that type of person, it's amazing how quickly I assess somebody and think I know their story. Mm. So when I sit with them every single time, no joke, I am gobsmacked at what <laughs> I find out and they are nothing like they appear. And as humans, if we would recognize that mm. as we walk the streets, as we're walking into the store, as we're dealing with family, even family and peers, that there is so much more behind that, mm. so much more making them tick, so much more happening. That's why they are angry or biting my head off or blowing the horn. We would really take a step back and have more mercy and compassion. Mm. I think uh, there's a French proverb that says to understand is to forgive. And I think uh, the more that we do understand, you know, where people are coming from, the more empathy, like you just mentioned, that we'll, we'll naturally have. Oh, yeah. I'm writing that one down, by the way. <laughs> because I am a huge, huge, huge believer in that. I saw, I saw it for 20 years working with youth. Yeah. And there was there was several situations in my life, especially that story with my father that absolutely blew wide open my mm. understanding and forgave him in seconds for things that would have took three years of therapy. Mm. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, totally. When you hear somebody's story, it's amazing how you don't believe them of something they've done that is wrong. You're not saying mm. that it's right. Yeah. But you gain an understanding as to their behaviors. And that's why at our youth centers, especially the one that I, I ran specifically, I wanted the worst. I wanted the mm. ones that nobody wanted because I knew there was more. Mm. I knew there was something there making them tick that way. And if we could find whatever was making that attitude create those actions, then we could come in and feed them differently to mm. switch that back around. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, let, let's say someone's listening and they may have, have a talk or a speech coming up. They're trying to prepare. Maybe they're a business leader or it could be a teacher, let's say, and they will have a lesson they want to uh, share, share with their students. What, what guidance can you give to them for including stories or storytelling in a way that isn't too intimidating to people? Well, the first thing I would tell them is to hire me. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> no, so um, uh, let me just keep this simple. A lot of times, if you are giving a speech, there is an end result that is desired. Mm. For instance, when I'm hired, like I'm keynoting this weekend at a conference down in Kentucky, um, I always ask, you know, what is your theme? Right, that's fine. But then what I really want to know is what do you want to have happen when this is done? In a yeah. perfect dreamland world, and when those people walk out who are paying to be a part of your organization, what do you want them to do? So then they tell me that. And so there I go. That's the end. That's the action that I want. Mm. 
The next thing I ask, and I'm going to bring this home to what you just said in a second, is, well, what has happened, and when I work with nonprofits in a a more lengthy way with like strategy and strategic planning because of situations or whatever, what happened that you're not getting that? Hmm. That's the hardest part because they don't want to answer that, right? They, 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 They want to blame everything but themselves. But there's always a segment that they are responsible for that they're not getting what they want out of the... They're not getting that dream ending. Hmm. So when I find that out, then I know how to craft. And so even a teacher, let's take this down to this. If a teacher is going to be presenting something to her class specifically to get a result that she knows needs to happen. Let's say there's something happening with students that isn't good or homework's not being finished. You got to kind of back up and say Mm. to yourself, well, here's the dream ending. This is what I want to have happen. Let's back up and figure out what is it that's been going on that that's not happening. No parent involvement. Am I not being clear enough? Whatever. That then will take them to where they need, what they need to bring into that talk and the best way to interject a story is to find a story from your own life that equates their difficulty that middle part Hmm. so let's just pretend my kids aren't bringing in their homework and they're forgetting their books i'm going to back it up and look and i know that a lot of them do not have two parent homes Hmm. So there's like a single mom working one job, two jobs, whatever. The kid's home alone at night. They're on their electronics. Yeah. Right? So I'm going to back that up. And I need to figure out a way to make them feel more responsible for themselves in this area without putting down their situation. Hmm. So I'm going to pull a story from my childhood where I did not take responsibility for something that gave me a long-term hurt. Hmm. Where it was understandable that maybe I dropped the ball. Or even the warm hood of someone else's story, Stephen. Yeah. Let's find a, somebody in history, somebody, I don't care who, find somebody, I don't care. Even there are sports figures who have stories where they've dropped the ball, mm. right? And it hurt them in the long haul. I don't care what story you use. And you can then take a story uh, and share it in a very casual way relaxed way not in a Mm. preachy way the story does the preaching you don't need to preach and say you know you know once there was this guy and you may even know him back in 1977 and he blah 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 blah, and he didn't do this and so his career was put on hold for a while because he didn't do this but who could blame him Mm. because here's the situation of where he was coming from and here's the situation of what was happening and and have you ever dealt with that conversation 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 Mm -hmm. and say look I know that you're all dealing with a lot. I can't even imagine what you're dealing with. But why hurt yourself in the long haul? Why hurt yourself in the long term? What can I do for you to help you get in your homework so that you excel? Hmm. You know, I mean, we're doing this so on the fly right now, Stephen, but that's what I do. Yeah. Even the conference I'm speaking at, I know what they want. I have found out and it has been hard on them to answer me because I didn't let them off the hook because <laughs> I'd say 40 to 60% of the issue is the organization. Yeah. And when they finally gave into that and recognized it and stopped blaming mm. a person or COVID or whatever, yeah. then we got to the good spot and I know exactly what I'm bringing on, on Saturday night. And it's going to be funny yeah. and entertaining 
but it's also going to hit home. Yeah, that's in- that's really interesting. I know um, you read my new book, The Art of the Tale, but there's one yes. moment in Excellent. there where I, yeah, thank you, um, where I said, never tell someone what they already know in a way they already expect. And so a lot of times we might know where we're going or we might want to encourage people. But if you get up and you like say, I'm going to tell you a story about how you should be nice to people or whatever, uh, you know, ew, so, no. No. That was like, it's not going to work. Right. So you get every them, eye rolls. I know. And so you either tell them a story or whatever. And they're like, where does he go? What, what's, what is, the, oh, now I see. And, and a lot of times that's where that pivot happens. That's where that impact occurs. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, if the teacher would get up and say, you haven't been bringing your homework or even bringing your books to class, you're forgetting them. And so here's a story I'm going to tell you the the walls are up. Yeah. But if you say, you know, (laughs) when I was 13 and you kind of chuckle and relax and sit on the edge of the desk or wherever and you just tell the story, Hmm. it's it. There's no there's no defenses that come up when people when you people know they're getting ready to hear a good story. They're not defensive. Yeah. Unless you've already told them what you want them to learn from it, which that's not your business to tell them that. I like, I had um, Kevin Kling on the show um, a few months ago, and he said something that I'll always remember. He said, if you have to tell them the moral, you haven't told them the story um, when you get done. I thought that's fantastic because, you know, stories encapsulate truth and they don't necessarily, well, I mean, you can, it's just don't beat it over the head, you know, like if you need to clarify something, I think it's okay, but. But um, but ideally, I think stories encapsulate that truth. So we listen, we're like, I get it. I know, yeah. I know what, you know, what that message or whatever it is. Plus, um, the thing is, not everybody there needs to hear the lesson that you're. That you're <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Because everybody that's, oh, man, this is a pet peeve of mine. But <laughs> the story goes through, let's say we have 500 people in an audience that's 500 human psyches that have all tasted, touched, experienced, felt, emotionally felt, whatever, many different things. And whatever story I tell, I have to release it hmm. like a vitamin of sorts. <laughs> and it does in their body what needs to be done the way that they need it to be hmm. done and the timing that they need it to be done. And that is not, that's not my job to make sure it's applied exactly how I wish it could be applied because that's, I don't know what they need. Yeah. Their human psyche knows what they need. And even if for a minute, Stephen, that is listening to Bill Lepp tell an absolutely tall tale. Cause that's all he does is tall uh-huh. tales. And even if all they needed is 20 minutes of having reality lifted so they could mm. breathe a little, that is just as powerful as a story that carries all kinds of weight mm-hmm. and purpose. It's just as powerful, but in different ways. And so I, by the way, I'm a huge fanatic for Kevin Kling. I love Kevin. He is brilliant. Yeah, yeah, no, I, um, he was a wonderful guest and, and I've always enjoyed his stories when I've heard him tell it at the, at the, like the, the national storytelling festival and, and so on and Bill Lapp as well. Um, and, um, and so, you know, there was a time in my life, I'll admit, where I was like doing stuff for children, 
uh, and just get, telling stories, silly stories, folk tales and personal stories and so on. They were laughing and having great. And I was like, I want to be profound. I want to change the world. I, and then one day I realized, you know what? If you can get a group of 300 kids laughing so hard that they almost fall over in their chairs. And, and I'm not saying like I'm brilliant, 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 but I'm just saying like, if you can give people a moment of laughter, that's a gift. And when that, when I realized, you know, because there's so many things in this world to not laugh at. And I like what you said, you know, if, if people can say, maybe take a 20 minutes, 20 minute escape um, from the reality that they're in and just enjoy and laugh and, and stuff that is a gift and it's powerful. And, um, and so it's, it's not, um, less important, I don't think, than trying to get an important message across. But it can absolutely entertaining is is powerful. And um, you know, one of the things that you've mentioned a couple of times is that you uh, do performances. I know some storytellers don't love being labeled performers. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts about that, um, and and maybe why people, some storytellers, say, "Oh, I'm not a performer," or don't like to be called performers. You know, I <laughs> these these things crack me up. I know. Here's a here's a bottom line. When I okay, I could go to last week or the week before or this up not this upcoming because that's a conference, but even the week after when I'm in Tennessee, these people are paying a ticket price to come see me uh, in Gettysburg at the Majestic. They paid I think twenty twenty five bucks a ticket um, to come see my show. It was only an hour, which was awesome because a lot of times <laughs> theater shows when you're solo are like two hours with 15 minute break. It was really actually not enough time for me, but it was fun. They are expecting to be entertained, yep. right? And so if they weren't paying and it was around my dinner table, I wouldn't call it a performance. But when someone's paying 20 to $175 for a ticket to see me tell, I know they're expecting to be entertained. So I am performing. Yeah. Performing doesn't mean I'm not being authentic. Right. It means I have to bring it to the table because they have paid a ticket fee. You know, but I, I don't know why that bothers them. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. Give me yeah. the contract and let me do my thing. Call it whatever you want. I don't <laughs> care. What's, I love it. You know, I, I think that just come on, just do what you do. And who cares? Call it what you want. I don't care what, you, I don't care what you call it, Stephen. And I've heard this before in the realm that, you know, in that storytelling mm -hmm. realm. And I'm like, oh my goodness gracious. So, you know, what is, what does the word perform even mean? I don't know. That's an interesting thing. Yeah. So, uh, you know, even around the fire. Mm -hmm. Okay. So to perform means to present to an audience. You know, or to carry out or accomplish or fulfill an action or task. So I perform all the time. Yep. You know, now I think sometimes people uh, mistranslate that word into being that I am more, it's a theatrical thing. Mm. Like I am performing. That's yeah. not what it means. We just found that out. I looked it up on my handy dandy iPhone. <laughs> so, you know, but even around the fire, when somebody's telling a story to seven kids, they're definitely being more demonstrative. They're being more careful with their voice. They're thinking out their words more. That is a performance, right? 
Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I, you know, there's a continuum between conversation and performance and I get that. And some people are more comfortable in one realm or the other, but it, it always strikes me as a little odd when people, you know, get up in front of a group of a thousand people. Well, I wasn't performing. I'm like, okay, that's fine with me. I mean, I don't oh, care. Yeah. yeah. And one of the biggest compliments I get in my shows is that people say to me, I didn't even know you were telling a story. Hmm. Because I always start out with chit chat that then like it's it's very purposeful, hmm. very I mean, I have it, you know, it may be I've read something in their town newspaper that I'm whatever town I'm in yeah. or there's something going on. And I just kind of chit chat. And within a, just a minute or two, hmm. I've morphed that into the beginning of my story and flow into it. And you can almost see the audience just kind of relaxed. And then I can see that tilt where they're like, oh. We're in the thick of it, man. We're 20 minutes in and she's at it. This is this is her performance. I love it. Yeah, yeah I, I love that because storytelling is conversational. It's a com it is a conversation. And I really love that seamless flow. Um, I work hard on that because it keeps the audience very relaxed and open uh, for me to go in. Yeah, that is fascinating. I feel like one of the keys to great storytellers that that I've seen and that I've spoken to over the last few years um, is that they often, if not always, prepare with the audience in mind. So they prepare their, like you've mentioned this a number of times, you're trying to get to know your audience. What are they going through? What's the desired, you know, experience at the end? And maybe what has stopped that from occurring or or reading their hometown newspaper or whatever it is, but you're trying to get to know the audience as much as possible and, and then to, you know, set them at ease and let them know that you're on their side and all of that stuff. I feel like that's so important to really connect with. Uh, it's not like you're just up there doing your thing. Like, you know, like I'm doing exactly the same thing I did at the last 14, you know, weekend conferences I was at, but instead you, they feel like you're telling it right directly to them. And, you know, I love going to see comedians. Mm -hmm. I, in another life, I probably would have liked to have been a stand-up comedian, but it's yeah. just not who I am. I mean, I, I love it, and I'm a humorist, and I'm funny, right? At least they say so. <laughs> and um, But they they tend to, like, if I, like, when I went and saw Jerry Seinfeld, mm. I saw him twice in one year, same exact show. I love yeah. Jerry. Saw Jim Gaffigan, same show, that same show, right? George Carlin, same show all year, right? And that, that, I don't know if I could do that. Hmm. Now, granted, there are times, I tell some stories so often that you kind of get like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. But I get to, from a huge repertoire of stories in my head that I've written, watch the audience, look at the town I'm in and, and custom make my sets. And I love, or even what's happening in the world, I might even yeah. tweak a little bit. That's a beautiful, and I'm not saying that the comedians don't, I, you know, right. I, I, they're, they're, they're unbelievable, unbelievably versatile, but with storytelling, it goes to a whole other level. You know, I can change anything. I can shorting a, shorten a 40 minute piece to a five minute where it's just laughter. I can pull out a piece out of 40 minutes and make it its own little thing. That's just nothing but funny, 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 funny. And then put that back in that 40 minute piece and it becomes this whole cycle beautiful different emotions and it's just i love it 
Yeah, that versatility is amazing. Uh, and and um, I, I just, my hat goes off to you to be able to do that. Um, and uh, I was thinking recently, uh, I'm preparing to teach a course on storytelling at a local university. And one of the thoughts that I had, I don't know, just get your reaction. And then we'll, well, actually, we'll close up in just a few minutes. It's like, this has been a really interesting conversation. But but if you're in a story and nothing surprises you, maybe you haven't looked around enough. That's what I was thinking of. Like when I'm telling a story, even if I've told it a, a bunch of times, if I if I suddenly am like, I never noticed that before. Um, I think that's fresh and good. I think that's a good thing. Um, so that it sort of shows me that I'm really present in it and watching it kind of unfold and I'm not just going through the motions. Yeah. And you know what? That is really interesting that you say that because sometimes when I'm on the road a lot with a lot of story festivals or theater shows, some stories get a little bit, uh, you know, just, <laughs> you're like, if I have to tell that one, I just did a festival this last weekend and someone asked for a specific story I do called The Lap. And I'm just like, I really just, I'm so tired of telling that story. <laughs> so sometimes when I really uh, am tired of a story or I've left it for a long time, hmm. I will, in my mind, go through that story, like literally see it in my mind, like I'm living it mm -hmm. and try and come at it from a different character. Like what would my dad, even though I'm going to still tell it from my point of view, because a lot of my stories are personal, mm -hmm. um, like personal narrative. What did my what did my dad see in this situation, or what did my mom see, or or yeah. what did my teacher see? And it just gives you a fresh take of the view of the classroom or the view of that family moment, and it and it kind of reawakens it again and gives you a chuckle and and freshens it up a little bit. And so yeah, on stage I can't tell you how many times things will come out of my mouth, and they're always funny. Usually they're uh -huh. not like serious deep things. We're like, I'll oh, just funny things are popping out. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, that's a keeper. Where did that come from? You know, what the heck? That was know, right? that was really good. Write that down for me so I don't forget after the show, you know. So it's just the, the evolution of when you're telling as an oral storyteller is so beautiful. Well, I think that's because you're present in the story when you're telling it and you're allowing yourself to, you know, sort of unfold the story before it's not like you're just going through specific words and I feel like the best storytellers <clears throat> really have that ability to they've prepared like they come prepared but also they're responsive like they have this mixture of the two uh, I think the best storytellers have have that responsiveness re receptivity but also preparation as well yeah I think you have to I think as a storyteller on stage you have to be fluid mm-hmm and and it, it truly is a conversation. It's not like the audience is talking back to you, but you can feel every shift. You can feel every every move of I can. I'm I'm assuming that's the norm, but I can feel the emotion. I can feel when it takes a turn. I can feel even when I might be losing them a little bit. Yeah. And I because maybe my energy's down, and so I kind of bring it back up. You know, for whatever reason, I'm tired or jet lag, and it's just a fascinating conversation that is to me almost spiritual, if mm. I can say that. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's powerful. That's great. So, um, well, actually, Kim, thank you so much for being my guest today. I've really enjoyed the 
conversation. I know our listeners will as well. Let's say that some business leaders or maybe some festivals or something are listening and looking for a way to reach you either for consultation or performance. What's the best way for them to reach out and connect? Well, if they are needing a coach or somebody to strategize, maybe a new marketing or branding or nonprofit story, whatever, they can go to ProfitableStory.com, ProfitableStory.com. But if they want me for a theater show or even a conference entertainment, a lot of conferences, I do breakout sessions and train and keynote. But I also will come and... It's not stand-up comedy entertainment. They need to understand that. But it's definitely good entertainment. It's more of like humorist um, and like that kind of thing. They can go to KimWhiteCamp.com or KimIsFunny.com because White Camp is hard to spell. So (laughs) KimIsFunny.com. So, Stephen, I'm a big fan of you as well. I've enjoyed this incredibly. Thank you so much. And um, so hopefully people will reach out and connect and um, and get, get out and listen to you. When you're um, doing one of your shows, that'd be fantastic. And I hope to catch you the next time you're down in the Jonesboro area. So September, be, yeah. doing a whole week residency. So Oh, fantastic. No, that's good to know. I need to put that on my calendar. So I'd like to take a moment and thank our listeners. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, and um, for more info about our guests and to check out other interviews, you can search for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you might listen to your podcasts, or you can click to thestoryblender.com. Uh, don't forget to like us and subscribe to receive our weekly podcasts. And as you do, enjoy, tell your stories well, and always remember. The art of the story is all in the blend. Take care, everyone, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>